On today's episode, Dave interviews Mark DiCarlo. Mark was the host of Studs, the Travel Channel's Taste of America, and author of A Fork on the Road. I am Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. I'm doing, um, I'm going to uh, the International Tequila Festival in San Diego this weekend. Going to be emceeing and signing books down there and drinking a lot of tequila. Uh huh. And you know, we have my friend Marco's coming with us. I have an extra room if you want to come down and. When? We're leaving tomorrow at noon. What am I doing this weekend? If you like tequila. If you don't like tequila, I wouldn't recommend it. Really? No, because you would be, you'd be around a lot of people who are on tequila. How? <laughs> it's like going to Burning Man and not liking heat. Or fire. Yes. Or fire. Or fire. Have you done the Burning Man thing? I want to. I have not. Have you? No, I haven't. And I think about it. But then I wonder, I scare myself with my potential. Yeah. I, I definitely want to be like shrooming or something. I've done, so, it's been so long since I've done acid or E or mushrooms. And I've always loved it. I've always loved doing acid. I've always loved doing I've never e. done acid. Oh man, I did acid when I was 14. It was really fucked up. My friend Steve Soreff, who I who's fallen off the planet. but Maybe he was, because he was dropping acid when he was 14. Could have been, but here's the story, and it's really fucked up. He knew uh, these dealers. He had a dealer, and he knew this dealer who lived, uh, uh, what neighbor would you call it? Like Clark and Devon around there. And he babysat for his dealer. And he was 14 or 15, 15, 15. And he babysat for his dealer. And he said, come on over, I'm gonna babysit. So I walked over there, and it was kind of far from where I lived. You know, we walked over there, I don't remember how I got there. And we, the well, first thing that he did was, because he said, I'd like to come here and I'd just like to open up the drawers and see what's in the drawers of the people's houses. And there's a baby sleeping upstairs. And he goes, I think that there's some acid in the freezer. So he found these pills in the freezer, purple microdot. I haven't thought about this story in a really long time. And uh, we each took, I think, one or two. Is that a lot or a little? That's a lot. And you're 14. And I'm, I'm going to say 15. I'm going to say I'm 15. I don't think it's a big deal if you're 15. If you're 14, <laughs> that's fucked up. So we got fucking, I, I, I just remember going, Jesus, and that was the first time I did acid. And, uh, and then we- parenthetically, but, and, but here's the thing, we found a gun. We found a gun in his drawers. The first time I've ever seen a really live gun. And we walked around the house on acid with a handgun and babysitting. And uh, I don't really know much, remember much about it except like looking at the gun in between it, just kind of both staring off into space and going, what the fuck is Was it a loaded gun? I don't know. I don't know. Wow. I don't know. So that, you know, but I've done a lot of acid at Grateful Dead concerts. I think I've done acid like 12 or 14 times. It's been a long time. Wow. Wow. I know, I know a girl that goes every year. Every year to Burning Man? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's kind of strange. <laughs> this is being recorded, by the way. Oh, okay. Was that? Did I miss the opening title sequence? Uh, that's heard... done in post. It's called post. Is that back post. there? Yeah, there's a post back there. <laughs> right there. It's done over there. It's not funny. And there's no there. red light. I, I, I assumed no... in a studio of this nature there'd be a big on-the-air light. There is, but it's overhead. Oh, so it's only seen at night by it's airplanes? Only... <laughs> exactly, and helicopters that travel around here. Um, I would want to just want to jump into to this to this book that I and I know it's been out for a long time and I'm I'm halfway through it. Um, well, I'm going to say what I like about it because it, it has to. Let's do with start with it. what you don't like about it and build to the stuff that you like about it. <laughs> I haven't experienced anything I don't like about oh, it. Oh, all right. And I was talking to Johnny about this, uh, our sound guy. Um, I've read a lot of books that pe people that we know are writing books, you know, and some of them I can't read. Not that I can't read them like I'm unable to read them, oh. but it's like I can't fucking get through them. And, and Really? What? Only because... And do you tell them that? How do I know that that's not the case with my book? Because if I didn't like your book, I wouldn't have it right here. Oh, okay. But there's some books of people that, that, that we know that have written, it's like, I don't care about those stories. Because I expect more, like I know all these stories already. That's part of it. Maybe you don't know these stories because you weren't traveling with us. Well, but it's also your point of view. I hear you when I read that. I, but, but one of the things that I like about this is, it's one of the things I like about you, it's the idea that you will fucking talk to anybody. 
And also, you fucking suck up the world around you in a way that very few people do. And you've also discovered a way through this and through you know the shows that you're on and through the thing that you're doing in Chicago to uh, make a living at being who you are. You know what? I think you're right. And that, that's, that's, I think that's my greatest accomplishment. You know, I'm not a great actor. I mean, I am. It's just a very well-kept secret. Well, it's a, yeah. Uh, yes, I've been able to make a living just being funny and being pretty much myself. I, you know, a, a right. bigger version thereof. But, uh, uh, I mean, isn't that the point? Till I, about 10 years ago, I'm like, well, what's the point of being alive? And you have to, in my opinion, enjoy it be productive in some way, and experience as much of it as you can. But be aware that you're experiencing it as much as you can, which is what you're doing, and particularly in the, the one, the fruitcake one that I read, the fruitcake. Uh, that was uh, a great day. Oh my God, great Brother day. Raphael or Brother whatever. Ray. Brother, Brother Ray. Um, a story Not of, Ray Charles, never got to meet right. him, unfortunately. No. Oh, I haven't finished the book, maybe. Oh, no, I have not. You have not. But when I was doing studs, uh, Jamie was next door doing... Uh, Jamie. Uh, Fox. Yeah, in living color, mm-hmm. and he, you know, he's a Juilliard trained musician, and he would come over, to, he'd come over to the stud set to poach some of the hotties. So we would we would hang and talk. So I've sort of met Brother Ray. Right, right. But you never. God, I didn't know that he was Juilliard trained. He played all his own, did all his own music in Ray. Back. Yeah. But you also play the harp. I do. And so I was thinking about when you were telling it, like, oh, and you got together and talked about it, and then played the harp with him. Did you? With Jamie, yeah. no, but I've I've played with Big Bad Voodoo Dead. I yeah. played with Keb Mo. I played with Coco right. Taylor. God rest her soul. Fucking a. Right, right. Haven't played with BB yet, and got to hurry on that one. I, I can't with Buddy believe Guy's that he's band. still alive. I fucking can't believe he's still alive. We just saw him at the Hollywood Bowl oh, on September fifth. Tedeschi Trucks opened up for them, and by by the by, pound for pound, the best rock band on the planet. In my opinion, that's right a large. Now. That's a big thing to say. Derek, do you know Derek Trucks? No, I don't think so. He's he's a he's the other guitar player in the Almond Brothers. Right, that's why. I know and about now him. he's got right. his own band with his wife Susan Tedeschi, who's also right. a great guitar player. Uh-huh. And the two of them to at the end of the show, BB they do their show. BB comes out and does his show. <sighs> then he sits he's sitting down in a chair and he goes, "I'm going to invite my friends back out here. And Susan and Truck, come out here." So they come out. Then John Mayer comes out. So you got John Mayer. Derek Trucks, B.B. King, and Susan Tedeschi sitting there playing a little guitar at the Hollywood Bowl. And I'm th- at, at that moment, I'm thinking to myself, there's no place else on the planet I'd rather be than right here, right now. That's So I try and arrange my life to have more of those moments than not. I think that what you said, you said 10 years ago, you decided that. That you decided that that's what it's about. That's kind of the way my work career was going, and I've always had that kind of... Um, uh, approach to life, you might. But isn't it the? It, it's not the work. It's, it's not the the way that your work career was going. It's the way that you decided you wanted to live your life. You know what I mean? It was going in that direction because you wanted to go in You're that. direction. You're probably right. 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 I'm not one of those people that wants to go to every Hollywood party to suck up to someone to get a a, a two two line word in a movie. Or I'm not. You know, it's like I figure I'm who I am. I'm funny or not, depending on who you are. And, you know, if, if you like that, then great. I'll, I'd be happy to work with you. If not, you know, I'll go do something else. But throughout this entire book, A Fork on, a fork on the Road, uh, 400 Cities in One Stomach, mm. um, I want to plug it because it's been out for a while, and I think that introducing it to another group of people would be Thank helpful. Um, one of the things that I love about this book, and, and, and I think I dog in one, one of the pages here that, that kind of explain that, is the idea that you're just fucking living your life and doing what the fuck you want to do. It, it's what makes you You make happy. it sound bad. No, but <laughs> it's horrible. It's <laughs> an but, accusation. But in all that, but... How many people get to do that? How many people realize that they can get to do that? Because I think at the end of the day, a lot of people feel like, um, at the end of the day, a lot of people feel like, oh, my, my career isn't going in the direction that I thought it would be going. Well, that's your fucking problem. You thought it would be going in some fucking direction, and it's not going in that direction. So surrender to it, because... That's it. Right. Fucking surrender to it. Right. How many people do we know... Would you open that? I, I know it might be a little loud, but... How many people do we know that are ridiculously talented and funny Thank and you. live in paycheck to paycheck? Right. Is it fair? No. Are they happy? 
Some of them are and some of them aren't. I am. Right. You're an excellent example. Right. You're one of the funniest people I know. You could probably walk down the street and and not everyone is going to recognize you and go, oh my God, there's Dave. Right. Where uh, I just did a movie with Cuba Gooding Jr. the other day, mm-hmm. a friend of mine from hockey. And he's, he's doing a movie down in New Orleans. I love that he's a friend of mine from hockey. He's right? got this Academy Award winning guy. Here's a great, a from here's from a great story. When I was doing studs, I got invited to join the celebrity ice hockey team. Mm-hmm. And we would, we'd uh, go around the country and we'd play games against the local teams and we'd raise money for charity. Mm-hmm. So I've been playing with these guys 20 years now. We play every Monday night at an undisclo- secret undisclosed location. Mm-hmm. And uh, big time actors play, mm-hmm. big time NHL guys play, it's just a pickup game. Does Carell play? He, I used to be on a team with Steve. Yeah. And then he moved to New York to do a right. Daily Show. Because I know that he's a big hockey player. He's, he's really good, too. Yeah. And then he moved away, and then he's, now that he's a big, huge star, he hasn't come back right. to, to the team. Mm-hmm. But Cuba plays Jerry Bruckheimer, uh, uh, Barry Josephson, the, the consulate general from Canada, uh, other actors that you would know. It's a great group of guys. And we play every Monday night. So a couple years ago, we, we show up for a... a Every Monday night? Every Monday night. Every Monday night. Every single Monday night. So maybe 10 years ago or so, we're playing, and Cuba doesn't show up this particular Monday night. (sighs) Okay. We go into the locker room, and the Oscars are on. We turn on the TV. We see our buddy Cuba Gooding winning an Oscar. We're like, oh, that's awesome. Week goes by. Next Monday comes. It's getting late. We're getting ready to go out. Cuba doesn't show up, and we're all making jokes like, oh. Now that he's an Oscar winner, uh-huh. he's too big to come and hang out with his buddies. Right. And literally two minutes before you go on the ice, boom, kicks open the door. There's Cuba, walks in with his hockey bag, doesn't say hi to anybody, he's just kind of scowling, drops his bag in the middle of the floor, and I've never known a person that's won an Academy Award. What's the etiquette? Do you say, hey, I saw you, you know, it's, it's a little weird, right? <laughs> he looks around the room, scowls, rips open his bag, reaches down, pulls out the Oscar and goes, yeah, and passes it around to everybody in the room. And that, like, dude, you could not be any cooler. That was really good. Putting your Oscar in the smelliest, that's like putting in the devil's asshole. To put a, an Oscar in your hockey bag, I, I bet you the devil's that, asshole I mean, is probably cleaner. I'm not going to say, I think the devil's asshole would be cleaner because I think he, that he wants you to kind of just to kind of peruse through there a little bit and that's going to suck you in some way. Right. It's like, no, it's good, man. It's good. What do you like? You like chocolate? It smells like chocolate. You fucking like, what do you like? Honey? It smells like, come on, fucking smells like honey. Chocolate, chocolate honey. honey. Chocolate honey. Chocolate Which honey. Which is the name of my second honey. record. Exactly. Yeah. Devil's asshole. Chocolate honey. Uh, the <laughs> Marky Collins story. Um, that's, I love that joke. I love that fucking, that, that, that uh, template. That's the name of my next album. That's the name of my autobiography. That's the name, that was my nickname in college. That, you know. There you go, Chocolate Honey. My nickname in college. That's the name of my next album. Chocolate Honey. Over there, over there. Um, but the idea, like, he, what you just told me about Cuba Gooding, like, that whole thing. I mean, I liked him, but now it's like, oh, that. He's a just, great guy. That just brought it up. But all those people, like, okay, so we know. Uh, Nia Vardalis and Ian Gomez, so there's an example. Two people who could not be fucking happier and nicer people. Or could not be less different than they were when they were poor and living in that shitty apartment on uh, uh, Hollywood Boulevard. Exactly, right off of La Brea. Right. Where we'd play poker together. Right. To- as, far as, as far as I can see, they haven't changed one iota. Well, what's changed is their access in the world. You know what I mean? But they en- you know what? They enjoy it. Right. They have a nice place. They have great parties, mm-hmm. but, but I'm talking about going outside of that. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. they've changed in that. There's certain things that they can and cannot do. You know that sort of thing. Which is, I guess, unfortunate. But mm-hmm. I, I know other people that are, have become successful who are radically different than they were. You know, right? And you know, so if if the goal is to have a happy, chock full of fun, experiential life. That's what I'm trying to do. Right. How do you go about doing that? Because, because again, I'm going to the idea of... You touched on it before. I don't think most people know that they can do that if they want to. Right. And I, I've been lucky because if being a single man, it's easier to do than if you have a wife and kids to just say, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. Right. You know, I could eat macaroni and cheese for a month if I'm broke. Right. To try something different. Right. So I, I've been lucky in that respect. But uh, well, not lucky. You've decided. You've made that decision. Right. right. True. And I think a lot of people go, "I'm just not lucky." It's like, no, you've made that decision. You don't realize that you've made that decision. I realize that I made a decision to do things, only do things that I want to fucking do. Right. 
And it's not a luxury that I have, it's just a choice that I make. Right, and there's good, there's good and bad components to every choice that you make. And as long as you understand that, you know, I didn't have a family when I was 25, so I missed out on, on that at, oh. the, at 25. Right. You know, but those are, I'm happy with the choices that I've made. I gotta tell you, you know, knowing, did I know you when you were 25? Were you out here? I came out for college and then I stayed. I didn't, I was, oh, you did UCLA. I was here, but I was already here when you got here. Right. Yeah. Right. I was pretty much famous when I met you, if you recall. Yeah, you were. What happened? <laughs> um, no, but, but one of the things that, and, and, it, and, it, and that's why I like the book, um, is that's who you are. The way that you fucking write is the way, is who you are. And you've, you know your voice and there's a confidence. And I was talking to Phil Lamar uh, yesterday. Who I love. I love him too. I was talking to Phil Lamar. Have you, you've worked with him. Because he, he's done so much voiceover stuff. Yeah, I don't know if we've ever actually, he may have done a Jimmy Neutron at one point, but we just kind of know each other from right. hanging out, you know? Uh, right. So, uh, I fucking forgot what I was going to say. Oh, the idea of a voice, a voice, uh, the confidence. He was talking about confidence and saying, that's what it's all about. For you to decide that you've got to fucking be, that not you've got to be, you get to be confident. You don't have to be, you get to be. It's a choice that you have. So when somebody says what you need is more confidence, that's not a really good note. The note is, what do you fucking like to do? Right, and I, 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 when I had the opportunity, or when I had the idea to write that book, the opportunity was the show where I got to go, I've been to more cities than you have. Yeah. I can walk into any bar, any place, and probably win that bet. I was over in over 400 cities. I got paid to go and talk to people and eat, which everyone says is a great, great job. Right. So uh, I remember, my friend Jenny Weissman wrote the official Dick Van Dyke Show book. Mm -hmm. And in the foreword of the book, Carl Reiner is writing about the genesis of that show, which for my money is one of the top five funniest shows ever on TV. Yeah, from, right? from format to construction to right. execution, everything. Casting? Yes. Ugh. But just the idea of, hey, instead of having a couple of dumb hillbillies as our main cast, let's have them be the funniest comedy writers in New York. <laughs> right. Because then anything we think of, they can say plausibly. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, right so right. in the foreword, Carl Reiner's writing about, well, at this point in my life, I was my 30s or 40s, whatever. I had just come off your show of shows, which was this crazy experience. What do I do next? And he went back to Mark Twain. You write what you know. Right. What do I know? I know this world. So he, start, he, wrote 13, he wrote 13 episodes of the show before he showed it to anybody. That was when it was like when, when he wrote it for himself. He didn't write it for Dick Van Dyke. Correct. Right. Right. So right. he had the he he took stock of where he was and what he knew about. Mm -hmm. and he wrote about that. Mm -hmm. So when I got this show, I realized very few people on the planet will have this opportunity of going out into the world full time for four or five years and having these experiences. So I started taking notes and I had little uh, journal entries and blog things. I love what you said about remembering, like going, well, I'll remember it and not writing it down and you fucking don't remember No, it. no, I can't tell you what I had for lunch yesterday. Right. But if you write it, and I had, you have plenty of dead time back at the hotel. After you've uh, had sex and killed with your prostitute and had dinner, what else is there to do, right? right? I mean, you hide the body, obviously. Um, what kind of baskin? Look what I did today. I did that today. <laughs> That's a three-hooker day. Exactly. exactly. I, I would kind of wind down at the end of the day uh, and uh, write up what happened during the day. Right. And then I kept those files. And then when I got the deal to write the book, I, wasn't, I would have never been able to kick that out because it would have been all gone. And so many funny things happened to me, like the day at the, the monastery with Brother Ray. Right. Boy, he got you. Did he get you? Like he when did. you're talking about that story, like he knew that he knew that he hooked you, that you were he, you're late was like yes. Well, I went to Catholic school for twelve years. I know, and that's another thing right there. Which yeah. Catholic school? I went to St. Joe's in Downers Grove. Oh, so you you're not one of those Southside Chicago guys. No, right? Uh, of e of evil people, and then I went to Bennett Academy out in Lyle, which was great. Uh huh. Um, so I and I I have a. <laughs> I have a very strong opinion about organized religion in general mm -hmm. and Catholicism in, in particular. So, uh, first of all, the day that we went to this monastery, I had to wake up two hours earlier than normal. I had to be on the road at 6 a.m., which is not good for me. So I had a chip on my shoulder already. Mm -hmm. And we're going, I'm going to be hanging out with these priests all day long. And I'm thinking, oh, God, this is going to be just more than I can handle and be pleasant. 
So we show up. The guy pulls our chain right at the, from the beginning, and pretend. So he so he said he said you're late. You were supposed to be here at six. We, we were supposed to be there at six, and we were there at six fifteen. Right. And because the monks they bake the the fruitcake early in the morning. Right. And we want to go and document what's going on. We try not to tell people. We try not to arrange things in our favor. We just want to go and visit which unlike most reality TV, right? So we're right. there, we're 15 minutes late, and this guy was, you know, 5'2", 80 pounds, <laughs> skinny little He's 80. monk. He's an 83-year-old monk. Right. 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 Looking like the most feeble, clueless person you're ever going to meet, right? Mm-hmm. So we get there at 6.15, he's got his little arms folded, and you're late. We're done. <laughs> And I'm thinking, I woke up early for this shit. Now we the whole day. God. Ugh. So our producer, you know, sweet talks him and says, well, we're really sorry, but is there anything we can do? And then he just smiles and goes, okay, come on in. So I think he was messing with us. It's really, but, oh, oh. And he turned out to be one of the most interesting people I've ever met. He showed us around the, 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 um, the Abbey. And then uh, I started talking to him. And he was, he was, a, he was 83 at this point. In his life, he was in a family of 11 kids, I think, nine kids. He said 15 people in there. So 15 be, people. Yeah, so he had 11 brothers. He led 11 siblings. Okay. And right. they grew up outside of St. Louis, right? Uh, that I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, in his life, he had been a professional baseball pitcher. Right. A fighter pilot. Right. A fighter pilot trainer. Right. Then at 50, he decides, you know what? I think I'm done with that. I'm going to be a monk. Right. And then he joins the monastery, and now he's a monk. And then we start talking, because we have loads of time during the day, and we were out there for the whole day, so we were there probably eight hours. So I start, to, you know, we start getting to know each other, we're chatting, and we start talking about religion and philosophy, and I tell him that I think the Catholic Church is full of shit. And right. he goes, well, yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you there. It's all about, he explained, I go, you know, what, what is your perception of God? And he goes, well, he explains it to me, he was a radar instructor in World War II, that in uh, the early forms of radar, it would just send out pings. Right. And the distance between the pings told you how far you are so that when you got back home... To home base. There was silence. Right. And he goes, I think that's what God is. And it just struck me with, like a thunderbolt. But and when I read that, that was, that was the one... That, See, I haven't that, read that it. I, I'm, not, I'm not really quoting... I don't know well. why you're not reading your own book. I don't know what the <laughs> fucking problem is. Oh, I, I did notice that on Goodreads, you gave your book four stars. <laughs> Someone's got to. I know, I know. Did you just read that paragraph or that that's that part of it? Did he explain the whole Do, what the when, radar thing? Oh no, God? no, I read that whole chapter. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, I just finished. I just the, thought it was the so thing. well. No, but what well I'm going to say is it's it's not just well put, but for those of us who have discovered what it is that we're why we're here or our voice, that is the purest thing at that moment. There is no friction. There is no question. You know where the fuck it is that you are, and you know. The, the answer to why am I here isn't anything other than to be at peace with who it is that I am. Right. I think the big part of that is discovering who that is. And to give yourself permission to fuck up. Right. And to be honest, and that's another reason that and I And try stuff book. that you end up hating. Right. But if you don't, and another thing that, you know, I keep talking about the book because you're here, but um, another thing I really like about so this So it doesn't is come up when I'm not, not here? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm just going to start sleeping on your couch then. It's an existential I move experience. Some <laughs> um, but uh, one of the things that I really like is you're not afraid to fucking talk to people. And you're not afraid to go out there and to experience that, whatever the fuck that is. Like to sit to somebody, to, to go to a, a city and to sit down and have a drink and say, where should I go to eat right now? Where should I go? You tell me the fucking best place That's to eat right game, now. That's a great game, the Brian game. Right, right. Um, or the idea that don't go to, you know, if you want, go to the fucking Waffle House, but also go to Uncle Chuck's Rib Shack if you can, and fucking experience that Why not? The worst thing that happens is you have a crappy meal and you probably talk to some funny people that you'd never run into in your house in Los Angeles. That's it. And I got to tell you, and and I know you know this to be true, like the the experiences that other people go, oh, you really fucked up on that one. It's like, you know what? I'm telling you the story and it's really interesting, isn't it? Did I fuck up or do I have a much better story than if I went to the fucking wall? Right. Aren't some of your funniest stories recounting some of your worst days at the time? Clearly, right? but I don't look at it in a way it's like worst days or best days. I look at it going, at that time, I thought this was a fuck-up. But looking at it now, I wouldn't trade that fucking well, experience for nothing, anything. Well, every experience is good if you get something out of it. You know, you burn your hand on the stove when you're seven. If you never burn your hand again, 
that was a good experience, right? <laughs> right, right. If you keep answering the iron, it's not a good experience. <laughs> I've seen that. I've seen that. Uh, <laughs> what happened with the other? They called back. <laughs> you know, there's a part two to that joke. Part two to that joke. There is? Yeah, well, no, that's it. They called oh, back. What right. happened? Uh, you did it again? Well, they called back. It's like, God. Um, I'm reading. Uh, but, you know, we're, I think in some ways, we're in positions as performers and people in show business where we have more flexibility than someone who's sitting behind a desk and working a job that has to continue. You know, if you've got a wife and two kids and you're making X per week, even if you hate it, you think you have to stay there. Right. I, I would disagree, but it's certainly a lot easier for me to say that if it's just me that's quitting and suffering as opposed to, you know, how do you, how do you move laterally and do something that is more pleasing to you mm-hmm. if you have all, you know, if you're the train pulling, a, or you're, you're the engine pulling a big train. Which just reminds me of some sexual experiences I've had hmm. where I was the engine pulling the big train ah. in college. Um, yeah, the idea to fuck up, the idea to go, I'm going to fuck up. But I also feel like your brother Ray, your brother Ray, or brother Ray, um, at 50 decided you didn't want to do that anymore. Is there a more radical change from fighter pilot to monk? Fighter pilot trainer. I'm going to teach you how to kill people. how to kill people. And then deciding I'm going to be a fucking monk and make fruitcake. And make fruitcake. You know? Parenthetically, I mean, the only fruitcake I've ever eaten that's actually edible. I had a girlfriend who, uh, Katie Moyne, and Katie Moyne's parents were from County Cork. Oh, Jesus And went H. to, oh, they were fucking awesome. And went over there for figgy pudding, and we had a Christmas, and we had figgy pudding and fruitcake, and I'm like, this is fruitcake? Are you fucking kidding me? It was delicious. And figgy pudding. I've never had figgy pudding. I don't even, I've never had it since. But it's in the song, and it's like figgy pudding, and it goes, that sound right now. Right? Let's go and go get some. Yeah. Yeah, so. Brother Ray I, 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 is a, was, he's passed away sadly now. Mm-hmm. But he was also writing a book, and he, was, he had all these aphorisms and, and just kind of stories that he collected through his life. And he, I didn't want to leave that day. He was so, he got the fact that I was not a big fan of Catholicism, didn't try and shove it down my throat, and, and engaged me on... Uh, levels far above that about the existence of li- the, the meaning of life and, mm-hmm. and what we're here to do and just uh, I could not have been more uh, delighted and surprised that this little old monk was not the the stiff dogmatic douchebag I assumed he would be well and part of your assumption had to do with the fact that you did 12 years of Catholic school most of it yeah right right um, and, and I don't know how people balance that, that. Well, you weren't fundamental, and it's also fundamental. I remember being in first grade, literally first grade, because I know where the rooms were. We had just come out of the, the mass where they tell you that, you know, the, the, the body and blood of Jesus and all this stuff, and they, they're fire and brimstone. I remember turning to my friend, Gary Chemileski, saying, do you believe any of this? Right. It, t- from the first time I heard it, I just thought it was ridiculous kind of crowd control boogie, boogie, boogie. <laughs> And I, I figured, okay, well, all these grown-ups believe it. Maybe at some point I'll get it. And it just never, never rang true for me. I wonder if things are different now in Catholic schools. I don't know. You know what? It, it's, I think it's like software. There are Mac people. There are PC people. Uh-huh. If the Catholic Church works for you to get you in tune with the universe, for lack of a better term, then great. If being a Baptist does, if being a Jew, whatever, whatever it is. You didn't say Jew. Why didn't you want to say Jew? Well, seriously, really. Um, <laughs> uh, whatever the software is that works with your brain, mm-hmm. that's great. I just think if if you're born if if you're born into a software that doesn't work for you, it's incumbent on you to go find something that does. But it's important for you to go. You can find something that does. Sure. As opposed to my family has always done this, and that's the way that we're going right. to. Right. I was born Catholic because I was b- born into the family that I was. If I was born in Haifa, I would have been a Jew. If I right. was born in Mecca, I would have been a you know a Muslim. Right. It, it's a roll of the dice. So to kind of just accept that, if it doesn't make sense to you, at face value, what's you know, you, think, get, you get one life. This is not a rehearsal. Right. So you might as well. I'd always make. But in the Catholic in the Catholic Church, that's not what you're taught. You, you're not taught that you get one life. You're taught that this is this life here, and then when you're then you go to heaven. Right. And if you give us all your money and you don't cause trouble, you'll get to heaven. I don't understand why God would give a shit if I crowd my ass into church on on a Sunday, and 
praise him and prostrate myself before him. I would think the greatest thing you could do to make God happy is look at the tools that you were given and play as hard as you can with them. Oh, fuck yeah. If you're Albert Pujols, you're doing the, you, you were put on earth to hit the fucking baseball. Right. And to catch it. Right. And you're doing it to the best of your ability. That's the greater glory of God or the universe, whatever. And that's exactly, and I think that- Why would God care? We are as gods to ants, right? I suppose am, am I walking around asking ants to, to praise me? And, and I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. And I think right. it's, it's just the height of, of, of just egotism and, and, and ego to think that God really cares about every oh little minutia of, of your particular life right. to the point that you can do all the horrible things that the fundamentalists do in the name of God. Well, what's happening right now, I mean, just the, the thing with the, this, this movie that somebody made, this 14-minute movie that they made, where, uh, which caused this uproar in the, the, the Islamic world uh, and the, the murder of the uh, ambassador mm -hmm. in Libya. And looking at that and going, this douchebag who fucking put this thing together, fucking shame on you, who the fuck do you think you are? And now it's coming out that he did one movie, had these actors do this one movie, and then overdubbed their voice to say that it's about Muhammad. That's what happened. Mm. And, and I'm going, what the fuck is wrong with you? How do you justify that with that? How do you say, you know, say Islam's full of haters? Like, who the fuck are you? You're the worst hater of them all. Mm. I'm not a huge fan of, of, I mean, if the Catholic Church was doing the shit that the jihadists were doing, mm -hmm. there'd be a huge uproar. What I don't get is why, the, why the, the people in the Islam faith, the people that are in the, the brick and mortar mainstream Islam, aren't, aren't stamping out the, the radicals in their own religion. That's my problem. Well, I think that right now we're experiencing also, like, why, why are women... Uh, without getting, well, all right. This really okay. is the ADD podcast. It clearly is going all over the fucking yeah. place, but that's the way it goes. Um, the idea that, uh, how, can, how can certain women be Republicans? That's the way that I look at it. Because not, they're not thinking, they're not awake. And, and, and so that's the same reason that these Muslims aren't stamping out that radicalism or that fundamentalism or that violence. Yeah, it's, but it's just so extreme. It's so I can't give I can't give them a free pass on it. Just like I can't give the Catholic Church a free pass on knowingly hiding and supporting people that were sexually abusing little kids. You can't, they can't say they didn't know what was going on. Nope, they knew what they was going on. They knew it, they protected it, and, and how, can you be a, how can you hold those two ideas in your head? That I'm here serving God, doing this shit at the parish. Meanwhile, we've got to keep Father Smith away from the boys because he's going to fuck them again. Yep, yep. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, just in Illinois, I think in Peoria, yesterday, Peoria, um, one, of the, one of the priests was accused of molesting a kid when the kid was 16, and canonical, canonical law at that point said 18 is an adult or whatever it's going to be, and they went, it's past, whatever it's going to be. They slapped him on the wrist and they gave him another parish to work in. Yesterday, yesterday. I blame the Catholics. The Catholics that put the money in the bucket and support it. If you know what, the 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 one thing that history has taught us is that when the people rise up and complain in an organized fashion, things change. Right. Right. And the fact that we're uh, coming up on this big election in November and people are apathetic, and forty percent of the people in this country vote, we we, we right. deserve what we get. Yep. You're right. You know what I mean? It's you're like right. if you if you're not out there talking to people or expressing your opinion or trying to connect the dots for people that don't see it your way, you're part of the problem. I agree. You know, you, I think Jefferson said, you get, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly, but we get the government we deserve. Absolutely, but that's true You get everything. the girlfriend you deserve. That's exactly what you I'm saying. You get the meal you deserve. You, you get, get the career that you deserve. You right. get the fucking career that you deserve. You get the joy that you deserve. You get the happiness that you deserve. And, and, I, and I think that, that we, I know when I say we, I'm talking about the community that, that you and I are in, we surround ourselves with people that are joyous. We surround ourselves that are people. And funny. And funny. And but, clever. But also kind. Generally, yes. Generally, yes. Like we do stab each other every once in a while, but it's for jokes, right? right? You know. Oh no, that's that's the best. That is the savage, best. horrible, 
Yeah. Oh, I'm, and, and, and where people go, what? You did what that? Did you and, and then we all laugh and it's like, oh, we're kidding. And you go, yeah, that hurt a little. Um, <laughs> but I look, at, I look at the positive, the positiveness that I've surrounded myself with. And I know that that's the choice that I've given myself to surround myself with those people and to right. live that life. Right. Right. But it takes, it takes planning and it takes. Uh... Is it planning or is it an awareness? I think awareness is probably a better word. It, it's an awareness where you're like, all right, you try something. And, Ooh, I don't like that. Right. I, I remember being in high school and I got a job at Sport Mart because I needed money, right? And I Sport Mart. Sport Mart. And the first day I went in there, they gave me a little blue smock and I was stocking fishing line. And I couldn't have been there more than 20 minutes. And I'm stocking fishing line and I, I was almost going to like just, I'm like, I can't, I can't <laughs> do this. I can't be here working for three thirty-five an hour, oh, and not that there's anything wrong with people that enjoy working at Sport Mart or enjoy. It's like I, I just left. I didn't even, I don't even think I quit. I, I just I'm like I, I, I had a, like a meltdown. I I, le- I could not do it, and I left. And then I ended up selling shoes at Shernan Shoes. You sold sh- shoes at Shernan? I did. Oh, there's Which a whole one? Ch- uh, the one in Downers Grove. Oh, okay. No, I haven't gotten. That and that was yet. great because I got to. Uh, you talking to people, yeah. bullshitting with the salesmen. Yeah. Who, the, women's shoe salesmen, talk about a rowdy, profane, uh, libidinous group. I was Tom McCann. Oh, then you know. I sold shoes at Tom McCann. So you know. Yeah. What's better than selling shoes to oh. women in the summer in oh Chicago? Oh, my God. You know what I'm and saying? it's like you bring out one pair, and it's like, you know what? I think you'd like this one, too. And it's like, because you got some nice feet. It's like, oh, let's go. And what was your panty, no panty percent? I always say no panty. What are we talking about here? It, the women that would come in during oh, the I summer. Oh, I see. I see. Right. I'd say like 30%. Yeah. Right? Right. And I was 16 or 17. Oh, no. That was a big deal for no, me. No, for me, I was 16. I, I remember I was 16 because I remember I got my driver's license. I borrowed my dad's car and I went to work the day I got my driver's license. I left work and I immediately got into a huge car accident. Great. Boom. Get First day of my driver's First day I had my driving license. Wow. But Churnins was a great place to work. There was, I had a lot of friends who worked at Churnins. There was a guy, I changed his name in the book. He was famous for selling women's shoes because mm-hmm. women would walk in. And this, this story's in the book. They'd walk in with it, just like a meaty, cloven hoof, fat, cankly foot. And they'd sit down. And this guy would go over to them, hello, darling, how are you? Uh-huh. I, I need a shoe. I'm a 9E. No. You're a 7B. No, I'm not. Uh, yes. He'd go in the back. He'd pull a 9E, wet his finger, <laughs> rub it off, change the 9 to a 7 change the E to a B. Oh. Then he'd come back and he'd go, there you go. Oh my God, these are so comfortable. I'll take a blue, a taupe, a black. Brilliant for two reasons. That this guy knew that the, 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 the kryptonite vanity spot on a woman is her feet and her shoes. Right. Which we know because we sold shoes. Yes. Right? Also, She's gonna to go to a, she's gonna to go to Tom McCann now and say I'm a seven B, and the guy will laugh in her face and right? say no. So she goes back to the guy, and he has customers for life. Never did any woman walk out of that store without a stack of books taller than they were. Oh my God, I just I, I love I love it so much. And Churnis was such a great place because the shoe salesmen at Churnis more than Tom McCann were old school men, like at Herbs. Did you ever go to Herbs? No. Uh, tough to find, hard to beat. Uh, it's a. Uh, it was like in some neighborhood, and just a neighborhood. They were like- well dressed Jewish guys from downtown who all knew each other, had been selling shoes forever. Fuck yeah! And they were all in commission, so there was a real sharky quality to right, it. Right, right, right. It's like Glen Gary, Glen Ross shoes. Exactly. <laughs> That's know? exactly what it was. Right, right, right. With with sometimes hot women coming in, lifting their skirts up. Oh my God! I'm, and you got to be so close and touch somebody's feet, and you're 16, and you touch some beautiful woman's foot. You're not gonna be able. To do that for right. So is that a trade up from stocking fishing line at Sport? Right, because you get some fat Mexican guy coming in who just wants to get alewives off of the fucking. I just couldn't. I just couldn't. (laughs) I just felt like, oh my god, if I stay here one more minute, my life is over. Oh, I understand. Couldn't handle it. Did you do restaurants? No, never did that. I, I don't never think I could have done that. I also, I did, when I was in college, I did phone sales on the phone because mm-hmm. I figured that was an acting job. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. So I was Larry Dunbar and I was selling office supplies. 
on the phone. I was, I did something like that. It was a cast marketing where I would call up and go, hey, I'm working for WBEZ and we're doing this promotion and wondering if you want to get some advertisement. Let me just, and then I'd read the advert. The fine folks at General Mills, you know, would like to remind drivers that children at play are not always mindful of dangerous traffic hazards. Um, so when you're around <laughs> schools or playgrounds, please be wary. And by the way, General Mills is selling cereal at 19.95 and sell that kind of shit. Phone, you'd call up people and give them call ads up on people, their phones? Look through the yellow pages, call up people. And I remember I got fired because I called up an Indian restaurant once and did, hello, my name is Bruce. And I was wondering if, and some guy's like, after phone, I was like, I think I sold him. It's like, come in my office. <laughs> what? It's like, we know you weren't Indian. It's like, how do they know? <laughs> I was doing a very good accent if you Exactly. All right. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I don't sound like I'm whatever, whatever, Pakistani, like ever doing that. But that's the, that idea of going, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this thing and fucking walking away. And I think, I think getting back to one of, you, one of your original points, most people don't assume, they don't know that they have the power to just do something, try, try and find something better. But it's the same reason that I don't have kids. Because it's like, I'm not interested in that. And I'm not going to do it because the rest of the world fucking right. does it. Well, good for you for knowing that. Right. Oh, right. Right. Before you have them. I don't have kids. My brother doesn't have kids. And my sister doesn't have kids. And we're all, you know, my sister's 40-something. My brother's 51. We, I, I don't know, you know, I don't have any nephews or nieces from that. We just never oh, had kids. Oh, see, I got the best of both worlds. I've got two nieces and two nephews. So I've been semi... You know, I've been uh, slowly sucked into that world. So I've got the best of both worlds. When you say sucked into that world, you're like, aren't they cute? And then walk away. You're not sucked into the world like, ah. Oh, I don't know, maybe. Right I mean, we're, you know, we're getting married this year and maybe, you know, I, I could, it's late, but I could see it. I could also not see it. Right. But Nazi? It's, it's, I heard you say Nazi. <laughs> what do you, what's, what's happening? Nazi. Right? Hitler was a fantastic painter. Right. To a whole um. apartment in one afternoon. <laughs> Two coats. Um, Think about the balls of that coming out with a Hitler movie 15 years after World War II. Right. 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 And so satirical. That's like 1998. I can remember 1998. Shit that happened in... Sammy Sosa, that's how far away 1998 was. Right. And that's how far World War II was away from uh, Springtime for Hitler. Right. The balls on that whole thing. Just such balls. And again, I have this idea. 20 years. But whatever it would be, I have this idea. And then to do it. And Right. There are people that are like Holocaust survivors that are watching the show. I had an uncle. The greatest uncle. shot in that movie is the, the, the reverse shot of the entire audience with their mouths open. I had an uncle. <laughs> My, um, just, just anecdotally, I'm kidding. Um, when we moved to Chicago, uh, we, li we lived in a Chicago-style, Chicago bungalow. And uh, we moved into the house, so I'm, I'm doing, a, the, the house to our to east of us, where it was a family of nine Catholic kids. First Catholics I ever knew. Nine kids. They were the fish. That was the name, the fish. All right? To the west of us, the house right to the west of us, were the birds. No. Yes. Now, the fish moved out. The muds moved in. Get out I'm of not there. shitting. I shit you not. So uh, another And then in between them, the Rosowskis. Like, what is a Rosowski? So uh, my aunt It's a kind of my, finch. My aunt uh, my aunt Anne, my dad's sister, Anne Rosowski, married a guy named Walter Boll. B-O-L-L. My mom's dad, I'm sorry, my mom's my mom's uncle is Oscar Plate. So I have ants who are the, uh, the plates and ants who are the bulls. I have the bulls and the plates and the birds and the fish. Anyway, um, Walter Bull, German, his parents were killed in the Holocaust. When Hogan's Heroes would come on on Friday, he would leave the, the Shabbos dinner and turn on the TV and laugh like a motherfucker at Hogan's Heroes. Well, sure, because the Germans were morons on that show. Right. Well, right. I get, yeah. I mean, it wasn't, but, but millions of people watched it every week. But, but the, you the balls go, to do that. Yeah, right. But you could go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Or, or just looking at Walter and going, Walter went, you know what? My parents were killed by the, uh, it's not fun. You can't joke about it. But you know what? You might as well joke about everything. 
not not laughing at Hogan's Heroes is not going to bring his parents back to life. No. Nope. And I believe that la- you know, if it's too sacred to even talk about, it's haunting you too much. Laughing about it and making jokes about it is the beginning of dusting it off and putting it away a little bit. I wish I which you have this. to do. I think somebody did this the other day, and I can't remember what it was, but they had a Lincoln joke. Too like, soon. I, but the joke was so funny, Mark, that I thought, okay, it's not too soon anymore. It's not too soon anymore. It, like it was just such a great joke. It's like, okay, good, good. I, everybody exhale. You can do the Lincoln jokes now. It's okay. Everybody, <laughs> open. you can do it. Lincoln. Jokes. But what? But going You're talking back to, Lincoln the car, right? Right, right. But looking at all that and saying, like, to know your voice, again, going back to to the book and going back to know your voice and to be able to go, this is what I have to say and and I'm not going to have a governor put upon me, and I don't mean like Schwarzenegger, I'm not going to have a governor put upon me saying what I should and should not do. If I fucking feel like doing this, I'm going to do it. And we're lucky in that we live in a world where we can do that. Unless you're Michael Richards. Or other oh, people. Boy. See, that's the thing. Oh boy! But the, I, I think that's a fair price to pay. You, can, like we were talking earlier, amongst our group, you can say anything, no matter how vile or mean it is, to somebody right. else. And if it's funny, it's hilarious, and it's no big deal. Right. But part, I think, at least for me, part of the excitement of that is, if you say something that doesn't land and it's not funny, and then it's just mean or racist or horrible or then. See, but to me, that's ex- that, that's why it's that makes it funnier. If what you say could have been misinterpreted as right. something evil and horrible. I really want to know what Michael Richards was was. I I, I don't remember it totally. I, I think he got railroaded to a certain degree, because I I I did an episode of Seinfeld, and all of those guys couldn't have been more nice and open and welcoming and cool. You know, obviously, you're not going to see if a guy is a racist in a week, but I. I you know, my take on it, knowing nothing, was he was somewhat railroaded. Ah, I know. That's what I want. That's what, that, in my heart, I believe that. I mean, as I, rem- I don't really remember it, but as it was some sort of lynching joke or right. some sort of th- Did thing. he say the N-word? I, I don't, did he? Did he? He did. He said the N-word, yeah. Yeah, okay, but Chris Rock says it all the time. Right. There are plenty of comedians who say it all the time. If, if the word is evil and corrosive, then no one should say it. If you're saying it for effect and you get to say it because you're black and I'm not because I'm white, that that does seem arbitrary. That's that, that's a little bullshit. Right. I mean, you know. Not that I need to say it because I don't ever find a need to say it. Well, no, that's not true. I mean, I will say it, but I won't say it like that guy cut me off, so I'm going to use that in that, right. that term. But there are certain times where I'm going to say it because I need to say that word. That's the word that I need to say. Right. That's the place that I need to say it. And to know that there's no other word that's going to work other than that word at that moment. And my entire system says, say that fucking word. Say it. Say it. Yeah, and it can be funny. In the right circumstances, in my opinion, anything can be funny if it's funny. It, well, what Mick Neighbor does, you know Mick? No. Mick Neighbor, he's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. at the United Theater. So he, he was directing a show at Second City, and he, he had this, and he used, I think he's written about it in, in his book. Um, and Is that one of the books you don't like or one of the books you do like? I haven't read it. I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> he misspelled my name at the, in, in, his, in his name. How do you misspell David? It, 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 there, was a, there was a number in the middle of it. And it's like, how, how do you pronounce nine um, in the middle of the name? So, um, but that's the same reason. There's a couple of people that I was like, you thank me in the book. I really appreciate it. But fucking, you didn't. You spelled Google my name Google me wrong. for Christ's sake. Exactly. How hard would that be? Anyway, so he's doing this scene. And the scene is, um, it's a Second City scene, so it's, it's, a, it's a sketch. And uh, the scene is this. Uh, Lois Lane is, there's, um, Lex Luthor is doing something to Lois Lane. Somebody's playing Lex Luthor. Somebody, this woman's playing Lois Lane. And Lois Lane goes, oh my God, what should I do? And she goes, Superman, Superman, help me, help me. And you hear the Superman music playing. And then the lights go down and the, light, the lights go black. And then a spotlight comes on stage right. And then here's a, somebody wheelchairing uh, Superman in a costume. It's Rich Tellerico. In a Superman costume, like being wheelchaired in, you know, that thing. And it was fucking hysterical. Here's the thing that Nick said about it. He said, I have to, he said, when we came up with that, we didn't shy away from it. But he said, and this is what he said, he said, I had to put it into context. I had to protect it. And so the audience will let you do whatever the audience, the audience will will take whatever it is that you give them 
and will accept it if you couch it in a certain way or if you give it, but they want to hear that because that's just like, are you kidding me? Nobody expected that. That's the world that I want to live in to be able to say these things, but to give it context. Right. Well, you can, but the, the downside is every once in a while you fall off the high wire. But you're not going to be, if you, if you, aren't a, if you don't get up on the high wire, you're not going right. to be able to, to look at right. that and, and go. I, and I, at least the, the way I kind of see the world is if you have no malice in your heart when you say your shit, then it's not bad. Right. You know what and I mean? Come across, and people I'll, I'll apologize if, if I say something that offended you for some reason. That's not what I meant. But if you're going to be, you know, if you're offended, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. I was making a joke. That's and if you can't take that, Sorry. I think I mentioned this before. My wife used to, uh, my ex-wife used to apologize in this way. She would say, "I'm sorry that you feel that way." And at first, I was thinking, "I got an apology." And then I thought, "No, I didn't. That's that's not an apology." But your intent, what you just said in that way, was, "I'm sorry. I did not mean to offend you. That wasn't my intent." Right. Believe me, if if you've pissed me off and I want to be mean to you, you'll know. Right. Right? Right. Uh, 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 but if I'm just making a joke and, and you're offended because you're a politically correct, uptight asshole, right. that's your prerogative, but I'm not going to clean up my act so that I don't offend you. If you're not offending 10%, per, you know, if you're working and you're doing a show or whatever, if 10% of the people in the audience aren't shocked or offended or rocked a little bit, me personally, then it, I'm not trying hard enough. I also, right. You know what I mean? Right. Right. I look at a lot of the improv that, that I see, and I look at a lot of people, uh, particularly now where there's just so many different improv schools and different philosophies about it, and I look at certain things and I go, and I walk away thinking, oh, I laughed, and then I try to remember what I laughed at, and I can't remember what I laughed at, because it didn't matter. And then when I say it didn't matter, what I mean is... Didn't resonate. It's it not, didn't you're not going to think of it. You go to a good Second City show, and you're thinking about it for weeks afterwards. Right. Because there's, there's meat on that bone. It's not just a joke. Right. And it takes work in order to put that together. So I'm not going to throw something out right away in writing. You know, I'm going to work at it. I'm going to fucking work at it. And what I love is that, what I love about Second City, and you were in the touring company out mm -hmm. here, right? What I love about Second City is they're not trying to get you to do anything other than speak the fuck up. Say your point of view. What's your point of view? It's not, um, that's the school across the street. Uh, they have a phone? They have a phone. <laughs> They have a phone. A big hand comes down and lifts the um, <laughs> lifts the roof off and goes, Hello? And it's like, ah, but it's an iron. Um, so, uh, oh. <laughs> oh, stop calling here. <laughs> My face is blistering. Um, but the idea of, like, at Second City, so, so these other places, they I thought have, you couldn't live within 50 feet of a school. Did that change? Um, I, I don't use the same name, and I don't wear the same robe, so they don't recognize me. But believe me, living so close to this school right here, With a big I'm window? always aware of what am I wearing when I look out that window. So the question I'm, you're asking yourself is, is this sexy enough? Exactly. <laughs> Exactly, because I don't want to walk up naked because it doesn't lead much to the imagination. Where do you go from there? No, you don't. So I just wear this kind of, I have a, a dirty coffee stained uh, robe that I found. That the kids just love. Exactly, and the kids love them. Uh, but it's right across the street, so I'm very careful. Do you like the candy trail? But it's one of, again, it's one of those things where I'm like, I can't walk by the window. Why? Because I don't want anybody to think that I'm a fucking dirty old man. Like, I, I walk right. by the window. Right, I used to wrestle with my nieces and nephews. And, and now, it's like, I'm think they're your own nephews, right? Right. And you're like, oh, well, I mean, right. uh, am I not supposed to wrestle with them and hug them? And it's like, it's weird. It is weird. It is weird. Because you I, you, I actually thought about that, especially with the girls. You know, my, my oldest niece is a freshman in high school now. And two or three years ago, we were wrestling and... It was just like, uh, right, we right. Can't, we, we can't do this anymore. It's so funny that you say that because uh, when Colbert was uh, just Stephen Colbert, he came <laughs> to uh, he came to L.A. and uh, Katie and I uh, thought he doesn't know many people in L.A., so we're just going to throw a party of people that he knew. And he, at that point, he was working. Uh, I don't remember what he was working on, um, but he was <laughs> he was coming up with different TV shows, and one of them uh, TV shows that wouldn't be on the air, and one of them was Touched by an Uncle. <laughs> Touched by an uncle. I remember um, seeing him and Carell on the main stage at Second City, and you literally, I, I, you, I couldn't 
you couldn't stop watching them. Right. And not in a bad way. They weren't scene stealing. There was right. just they're so funny with so much stuff going on in their characters that it's just like wow. Yeah. I mean, I did uh, I did uh, four shows with Carell and I think three shows with Colbert. I think you were in the first. That's I probably saw you before I met you. I because uh, I don't know, remember the name of the show, but I just remember Carell and maybe you doing some funny shit uh, uh, stage right. You know, the audience is left. I used to do a lot of where stage there was, right work. There was stuff going on over here, but I yeah. was just watching the little things going on over here. Hey, Steve, the thing about Carell, Steve Carell, what I, what I loved about Carell was he was so, he is so giving. It's like, and that's the, I think that that's a huge part of it. It's like, if you want to take, no one's going to want you. But if you settle back and just be, people are going to want to play with you. They're going to want to work with you. They're going to want to explore with you. And this is a major thing that I realized. It's what you learn in kindergarten. But the thing is that we forget about it. Somebody should do a book about all the things that they learned in kindergarten in their life. Maybe that's my next book. Um, So uh, what I realized was when I, first off, when I got cast at Second City, um, my, my, actually, my first audition was at the Organic Theater with, my first audition with Corral was at the Organic Theater. And we were auditioning for a, a Michael Gelman show. And, um, it's creating material through improvisation, long form, like one act, that sort of thing. And I remember that was the first time I met him, and I was thinking, I know nothing. Compared to him, that fucker was just so open and giving and honest and real and that sort of thing, and going, how do you fucking do that? And then when I got cast, I realized he can't do what he's doing without me. And what I mean when I say that is, I've got to be what it is that he needs for us to work together. And that's the collaboration that yeah. I think that so much of us have. I think a lot of people outside of show business assume that a stand-up and an improviser are the same thing. Right. And I, they're, they're, they're two opposite sides of the coin. Clearly. And uh, a stand-up is a guy who works really hard on his material, and it's a one-way, dialogue, a one-way monologue. Right. He's going to tell you funny shit. He's going to stop and take a breath when he knows you're going to laugh, and he's going to continue. What I love about doing improv is it's the opposite. You just pick someone different to be for that seven minutes, right? And you empty your head, and then whatever happens happens. It's sort of like um, like uh, sleeping with a prostitute. It is. It's kind of like how we run our lives. Right. We decide that's what we're going to do. You get up on the stage, and then whatever happens happens. I think that the interesting thing is when it's the thing about standups is the line about standups. The, the line the standups uses. Did you ever notice? That's how they always start out. Did you ever notice? And what that is is somebody standing on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. Did you ever notice? So they are judging and they're and, ju- they're judging and looking at, that, and that's okay because that's what they do. But in improv, you aren't pushing that out. You're hugging that exactly. So it's not like did you, you ever notice? It. It's like this is what I'm doing. And did you ever notice? Because they're standing outside of it. Um, did you stand up? You did stand up. I do it every once in a while, but I'm not. But you're a host, and so for you, I'm not good at it. I mean, there are guys that are great at it, and I'm, I don't have the the giant chunk of material. I can get up and tell a funny story, mm-hmm. but I think I'm funnier improvising and doing things that are more that. It's it's two different muscles. But two, you're also like but, Richard Label. Yeah, can do both. Oh, fucking Label. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And do both well. Yes. Uh, Richard Label's a, a, a friend of ours who's an improviser, and but he also does, he does, he makes so much money. Um, he makes so much, Richard Label makes so much money as a host. Yeah. An MC. I mean, that's what he does. Right. And he's so fucking well, good Well, and there's another it. guy that invented his own career, basically. That's a great, that's a great, right, right. He did, because nobody else was doing that. Now, there are certain people that do do that, but Richard does that. Right. And he's good. He's so fucking good. And, and, and the thing about Richard he's is... He's married to a 12-year-old. I can't talk. I'm going out with a... Uh, I'm dating a 29-year-old. That's a high five. Um, is she still tied up in the back? Or is she not here? Or what? I, I lost track of her. You know what I love about the young girls? The duct tape sticks to their skin so easily because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's alabaster pure. Alabaster pure. As, as that women get older. That's right? Yeah. yeah. Alabaster pure. <laughs> That's, that British that's guy my funk play. name. <laughs> <laughs> when I sit in with uh, Booty Collins and those guys, I'm Alabaster Pure. Alabaster Pure. What's that white guy's name? He's funky. Yeah, what's He's that white funky, guy? by the way. Alabaster Pure. Alabaster Pure. <laughs> uh, but but again, going back to that, like so many, so many like Corel Colbert, 
Amy Sedaris is another example. I don't know if you saw Amy, but Amy is another example of somebody who went, you know what, this is my career. It's not somebody else's career. I'm going to be. Amy did it and Paul, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Amy and David Sedaris did it as well. It's like, this is who I am. Right. And I teach a class over at I.O. And, and the class is, uh, they're level three and they've changed the name of the level three. They changed the whole curriculum and it's called you, Y-O-U is the name of the class. And it's essentially saying, who are you? What's your voice? Let's help you find your voice. And I was like, Carl Reiner. But that's somebody else. I don't want to be. <laughs> but it's exactly what Carl Reiner did. Right. Who am I and what do I know? What's my brand? What, what do I do better than anybody else? Right. If someone wants a six foot four black guy to host the next show, I'm not going to get that job. Right. If they want a blonde guy, if they want a guy who's kind of soft and sweet, it's like, you can't be, you know, when you're 20, you want every job that comes along and you want to be everything. But as think, you know, sh shit shakes out and I know kind of what my bandwidth is. Right. So then I just try and stay there and do the best I can in that and narrow... But you, you push the borders when you can. Sure. But you, you aren't saying that you're going to be, you know, a, a six foot tall blonde woman. No, not um, anymore. No, I remember when you did that. And certainly not this close to a school. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, uh, but that's but one of the things that also when you're 20 and you think you can do that and then you don't get to do that I think that when you're 20 25 years old one of the main things is 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 you berate yourself and you go why can't I be you know I'm a five foot six Jewish guy with a big nose I really want the part of the tall blonde lady and it's like George Carlin his entire career right wanted to be an actor he wanted them really? to really uh, 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 one of probably my favorite comedian ever George Carlin brilliant Great worldview, uh, really funny. But his whole career, he kept wanting to be, to let them, have them let me be an actor. Right. And he always wanted to be wow. an actor. Mm -hmm. And I think was long time, that's when he did um, the movie with Jersey the... Girl, yeah. Oh, Jersey Girl or the other movie? He did. Um, Bill and Ted. Bill. No, but he also did um, where. Uh... Car Wash. He did, he did a few. No, 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 no. Well, you're going to let me finish talking. Um, he did the movie with uh, uh, the, the clerk's guy. Dogma. Dogma. Right. Right. He played God? No, he didn't play he played God. A, he played a, like a cardinal or something. It was really good. It was, that's it was a great really movie. fucking good. And uh, Alanis, but there's a was, guy. Alanis was in that, too. Yes, yeah, she was. And regardless of... He could have been an Academy Award winning actor. Right. He still wouldn't have been as funny or as good as he was being George Carlin. But, and I don't what's think. What's also about Carlin is... Carlin's influence on so many people is so fucking profound. Um, and, and it's the same sort of influence that um, Lenny Bruce had. The idea that Lenny Bruce had all this fucking influence. So his body of work is one thing, but the residual adjacent echo energy, it, yeah. exact, did you say echo? I did. Echo, the echo of all that is phenomenal and it still reverberates. It still fucking reverberates and all that stuff. And I think in the end, it, 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 when it's all said and done, if you want to judge how successful your life has been, I think it's how close did you get to being 100% of who you actually really are. Right. You know, did you work 40 years in a cubicle wishing right. you were uh, a guy on the Colorado River doing rafting trips? Right. Or, you know, at least that's how I try and live my life, just keep the needle straight up. That Brother Ray story is a fucking awesome story because it's just such, again, going back to that story in, in your book, the idea that this is what this guy was doing. He was essentially a merchant of death or, you know, in that way, he was really a merchant of death. Um, uh, and then he went no more. But he didn't go no more in the other way. He just went, this is what I want to right. do right now. And to be fair, you know, World War II, I think, is was a war that, you right. know, right. It, it's not like the wars that we fought since, which are political and perhaps economically based and You're dubious. Right. I, World War II is a war that I would have been involved in in some way, fighting for the country and doing something. You're fighting, it's, it was as close to a black and white fight Clearly. as you can get, right? Yeah, I, I, for me, I would have been the guy at the beginning of Saving Private Ryan when they go on the, the they, they storm the beach at Normandy and the guy gets just smacked right in the eye before he even fucking walks off the boat. That would be me. Like, hey, let's go. That first 20 minutes, man. Oh my God. And the sound of gun, that, that gunfire was such a different sound of gunfire than you ever heard Ugh. in a movie before. And 18, 19, 20 year olds going right. through this. Right. Um, I read the book, um, uh, David Halberstam, I think his last book before he was in that 
horrible car accident, um, wrote a book, uh, The Coldest War, about the Korean War, mm. and how, so that was the war after World War II, and how fucked those guys were, because the, there was no money for, uh, everybody was downsizing um, the budget, there was no money, they thought that they would be able to do that war in no time, and it's, they were freezing, they didn't have the right clothes, they didn't have the right armaments, and the Chinese, the Chinese were behind the North Koreans. And these guys, like, how the fuck do you do that? How do you do that? And people are bitching right now, it's like, my agent hasn't called me in a while. <laughs> fuck, man, my Prius, what the fuck? You know? Drive me fucking crazy. <laughs> um, let's be done. All right. That's how it ends. Today's episode was sponsored by Fresh Balls. Deodorant for your balls. For more information, go to www.freshballs.com. So fresh, so dry. Thank you for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Rosowski, I am Ian Foley, and this is comedian Mel Fine with Mama Mel. I have your nose, and if you ever want to see it again, follow my instructions exactly. No cops! Later. Prepare for enlightenment so bright, it will sunburn your soul with Mama Mel. I've never read it, but I'm positive that book is true. All I need to know in life, I did learn in kindergarten. I learned that at some point during the day, I should take a nap whether I need it or not. Somebody probably wants me to really, really bad. I learned don't eat paste, but don't be afraid to try new things, because you never know. Paste might be your thing. It's an inexpensive treat, just like sniffing markers, also learned in kindergarten. Some boys indeed have cooties, and sometimes a good spanking is exactly what I needed to get me right.